Good day, people. Welcome to Edit Audio. It's noon. I'm sitting in the back kitchen and carving a scoop. It's a, one of these complicated scoops. It's a teaspoon measure on one side and a tablespoon measure on the other side. And I'm at the point now where I'm refining the backs of the bowls. So if you hear me slow down, it's because I'm concentrating on something. So this episode is going to be a little longer than typical because I'm going to be talking about, um, I basically want to talk about everything I know about teaching spoon carving. Um, my apprentice, Daniel O'Connor, just reached out and asked if I'd ever considered teaching something like that. I said, no, I never, never had. I've seen other people do it. Um, I feel like I share a bunch about teaching, but I've never tried to state it all in, in one place. But if you're considering teaching spoon carving, uh, my hope is that this will give you some important information. Um, so first off, if you want to teach, you need professional and liability insurance. I'm not the best person to ask how much this costs or where to get it from because mine is wrapped up in the insurance that I have for my Christmas tree farm as well. So. Um, that's not, uh, doesn't give me much useful information. I've heard from other people that to just buy professional liability insurance for teaching costs a couple hundred bucks a year. I'm not sure who that's from, um, but you need it for sure. Um, the good news is that this is also the same insurance that you usually need to get in order to take part in farmer's markets and other events. So that will be, uh, helpful for you if you're doing that as well. Um, I have found that I much prefer teaching one or two person private lessons at my home over teaching um, multiple person workshops at other places. And that's for two different reasons. The first is the size. Um, I have taught uh, up to 12 people at a time. And I find that once you get past three people, you really start to be, uh, to lose sight of where everybody is at, which at the best is, is simply a problem because you are, um, maybe losing, uh, not struggling to bring everybody forward at the same pace. At the worst, it can be dangerous because you're not keeping a good enough eye on people. You're not able to keep a close enough eye on people and they could get hurt. Um, I have seen people get hurt. I've seen people run the gamut from being completely fine with new experiences to doing all sorts of dangerous things right off the bat with very little tool awareness or awareness of danger. So um, it really, you don't know. And, and the, the people who were the most dangerous were not the people I expected out of the at the beginning to be the most dangerous. So, um, so you just don't know. And the other reason I prefer to teach um, one or two people at my home is that uh, I can control the environment much more. I've tried teaching at other places, and the problem is that other the the feel, the atmosphere, other places is never as good as I can create at home. And since such a big part of what I'm trying to do is give people a feel for what it's like to carve spoons in a beautiful environment and you know what that all entails that's not the basement of some place where uh, 
with concrete floor and machinery pushed up against the walls. Um, what you lack from the private lessons is the sort of camaraderie of people meeting other people who are interested in this and talking and joking. So you do miss out on that to some extent. Um, but it's made up for by the fact that you can really meet people exactly where they're at and help them forward uh, in a way that is unique to them and they have your full attention and um, and that I can set the, the tone for the entire thing. Also, I find that when people come to me to learn that they are invested in, in me, they've heard of me, whereas other times when I've taught other places, so often people who come to those, they know about the place, but they don't know about me. And so they're, they're less, they, they're not starting from a place of already being interested in exactly what I do. They saw a description of my course, they thought it looked interesting, they decided to sign up. So there's a lot more sort of having to justify yourself and where you're coming from with things with people under those circumstances, which to me is just, I don't need to go there. So I've found it uh, much more to my liking to teach from home. And I try to limit teaching to one day a week because I find if I do more than that, um, then I burn out because there's a certain amount of energy that is required to guide people through this process and also to watch them carefully enough to make sure they don't get hurt. I am often much more tired at the end of a day of teaching than I am at the end of the day of making. So I would recommend if you start teaching, pace yourself. As part of pacing myself, I found that I much prefer if I can only teach on weekdays and keep my weekends free for my family, I'm a happier person. At the start, I didn't feel like I could do that. I felt like I needed to sort of take whatever opportunity came my way. But what I've since found is that if you make yourself only available on weekdays, then lo and behold, that's the only time you will be available and people will change their schedule um, to make it work. So um, then there's the question of how much should you charge? I definitely started out low. I started out charging 80 bucks for a four hour lesson. And then I grudgingly admitted that four hours was too short to be able to teach all aspects of spoon carving to people. Um, and so I've increased it to five hours and a hundred bucks. And then recently I've increased it to 120 bucks out of the acknowledgement that it really is realistically taking me about six hours, um, regardless of, of uh, what we say it's going to be going in. It's almost always six hours. Um, and it's more than that if there's even one other person. So I think I am going to need to be, uh, well, so what I do is I charge 120 bucks for the first person, then I charge uh, 80 bucks for each additional person, that person after that. Um, and that's partly an acknowledgement that uh, it usually takes more time um, to teach those people. Um, one exciting thing that I'm going to try is, um, is in September teaching five person workshops that are six hours that each, and they're on Saturdays, um, and each Saturday is going to be a different topic. And my hope is that because we keep it very topic specific, not only are we going to cover everything within those six hours, but also that people will be able to really dive deeply into something and practice it in a way that is often not possible in lessons because you're trying to cover so much. And the reason I try and cover so much with my lessons is that 
there's a fair amount of sort of just safety stuff that I want to make sure people understand. And I want to make sure that people um, leave with an understanding of all different parts of the process. So usually I feel like um, sharpening gets short end of the stick. Uh, and I want to make sure that people are safe. I want to make sure that people have the, at least an idea of what they need to engage with further in order to continue with their craft. Um, so, so yeah, so the nice thing is usually it's one person lessons and I, we sit down right at the beginning, have a cup of coffee and we talk about what they hope to cover in the lesson. And often, um, uh, often we just do sort of the standard thing where we, we cover sharpening, axe work, knife work, cook knife work. More recently, I've started shifting it around a bit where I have some axed out blanks ready to go and we, um, unless they very specifically say like I want to do a lot of axe work, I've been shifting to having axed out blanks ready to go so that we go from sharpening to immediately to carving on these pre-made blanks and then we finish with the axe work and the idea is that if you finish with the axe work, that's kind of the most dangerous part, right? It's that's the part where somebody's going to lose a finger if they if they aren't thinking clearly about the risks and how to be safe. And so I want that in people's minds very very um, last thing for to go home thinking about that. Um, and so with that in mind, I also tend I've been shifting my axe work to being less about the sort of blow by blow, here's exactly how to do it, and more about here's how to do it safely. Um, because a lot of what I teach with the axe work is like how to not make mistakes, but really the, the most important thing is how to not make physical mistakes where you hurt yourself. You can make all the mistakes you want where you hurt the spoon and destroy the spoon, and great it would have been nice if i could have saved you from that but i don't really care one way or the other about that i care about did i give you enough information so that you don't chop your finger off um so yeah so we sit down we have a cup of coffee um i used to do more about spoon design but uh, i feel like that's an area where you can really uh use up a lot of time relatively unproductively um so we tend just to talk about crank and the importance of crank and and maybe a few other things, but, but don't get into it too deeply. I found that if I go into grain orientation, et cetera, et cetera, that um, oftentimes that's more than is useful for people. And I always go back and test these things. Like I just had a lesson the other day where I, I did talk about grain orientation just to see how it felt, see if I could do it in a way that felt helpful. It felt okay, but I don't think I'll continue with it. Um, so I think it's important to go back and uh, test, test your ideas of what's important to talk about and what's not on a regular basis. Um, the other thing is, uh, what else, what else? Um, so let's talk about sharpening. First off, uh, I, when I teach people sharpening, I think it's so important um, to be able to deeply understand why something is the way it is. So 
when somebody asks me a question, I want to always have an answer. And if I don't know the answer, of course, I'm going to say, I don't know. But then I want to think about it and do some research about it after the lesson. And so, you know, you can guarantee if somebody comes up with a question, that question is going to resurface again. So there should only ever be one time when somebody says, what's this? And you say, I don't know for a particular topic. And then you better put in the time so that you're prepared the next time someone asks. Um, the other thing is uh, it's you're going to need to sort of deeply understand your own sticking points and why they're there. One of the best things about teaching is that you find yourself articulating things that you never articulated. Um, and so uh, that is, you know, I'd say if you want to start teaching, first of all, just start articulating stuff here, or, you know, in a podcast or, or on social media. The more you can sort of teach before you teach, uh, the more you'll have stuff articulated and you'll have a clear answer as to why you're recommending someone do something in a particular way. Um, hold on, I have a tricky bit on this sheet that I've got to resolve. Um, so let's see, other safety concerns. Let's get into asking for a second, even though that's usually the last thing that I cover. So first of all, when somebody's asking, you need to watch them like a hawk. Um, I don't let two people ask at one time. Uh, I want to I want to be watching people. And the other thing I found is that it's important for me to have a stick to do the pointing with, so that I'm never putting my hand into a situation where an axe could be coming down on it. Because if people are not very good at keeping track of their own hands, they certainly are bad at keeping track of my hands. Um, so I have a pointer stick, and I do all my pointing with that. And the things that I have found that people most often struggle with is that, that are safety concerns is they ax too quickly. And, um, and they often aren't thinking about where their hands are. Um, so I'm always reminding people to slow down, to pay attention to where their hands are. If I need to get somebody to stop, I'll just say stop. And that usually gets their attention and they stop. Um, so you have to be very much in control and in charge of the situation when you're teaching someone to ax because the ramifications are so great for them really messing things up quickly. Um, let's see, when it comes down to carving, I tend to teach just the hand squeeze cut, the pull stroke, and then the pivot cuts you need to cut the rim. And that's really it for the Sloyd knife. I keep it very simple, um, largely because that's how I do my carving as well. But I, you know, I think it's overwhelming to people to learn a whole bunch of cuts that have relatively little utility that are only useful in a couple of situations um, or that have less control than, than other cuts. Um, and my goal with carving is to with a lesson is to basically have people leave having seen every part of the process. So I tend to carve two spoons, one that I'm carving, one that the other person's carving, and we pass them back and forth. And I keep things moving quickly enough that they complete their spoon within the allotted time. I usually allot about an hour for sharpening, an hour for axe work, 
and three hours for the knife work. Usually, you know, two of that is the, the, the scoring knife and one of that is the hook knife. That, to me, is about the ideal arrangement of time. Um, and when it comes to using the knife, you know, I'm, I'm making sure that people understand what's going to keep them safe, right? Like keeping your elbow in when you're making the, the pull cut. And I'm watching people and making sure that they're doing that and pointing it out when they're not. And I have very specific cuts, like for doing the rim, that I have to break down step by step for people. And what I found is that some people get some stuff, some people get other stuff. Occasionally you get someone who just is able to sort of easily, naturally copy everything you're showing and picks it up right away. Occasionally you'll get somebody who no matter what you do, no matter how you articulate it, they just can't get it. Um, and, and I've also found that kids are less likely to get it also. That there really is a certain like development that happens from going from a kid to an adult that makes a big difference when it comes to judgment of what's safe, what's not safe, and also uh, just an ability to understand complex instructions of, you know, you're gonna do this, then you're gonna do this, and this is why. Uh, adults, I've had more success with adults than with the few times I've taught kids. Kids, you're often dealing with issues of them, you know, struggling with being frustrated or giving up, and that's a whole other thing. Um, and personally, I have not wanted to deal with that, but I think, you know, being aware that kids are not going to come at spoon carving with the same degree of, of sort of tenacity and just flexibility that adults are is very important. Um, and let's see, when it comes to the hook knife, what I found is that uh, you understanding exactly how, and this is true of all the parts of it, but you understanding exactly how they're going to struggle and being able to articulate why they're struggling is more important than you being able to articulate how to do it. Because there's lots of different ways of how to do it, but when somebody's struggling, it's important that they understand why they're struggling. So most common thing is people are struggling because they are actually trying to move the hook uphill in the grain um, from the deepest part up to the tip of the spoon without recognizing that that's actually uphill in the grain. Um, and I don't, I'm not shy about taking people's spoons from them and smoothing things out and get sort of pushing them further along. Like I see it as they're there to learn the process and they're going to go home and make lots of mistakes themselves. So I want their spoon with me to end up being something that they can refer back to. I have no interest in having it be a hands-off sort of situation. I want to give them a sense of what's possible. And so I'm clear with them at the outset that like this spoon that you're carving is going to be a collaboration between you and me. And I'm going to push it forward so that we finish it on time for you to see every part of the process. And and so that you can also see what's possible and how to deal with situations. So don't get attached to your spoon being something that only you have, you know, touched. Like that, you can do that on your own time. Um, 
And that's really helpful to articulate to people. Uh, the other thing is sometimes people just want the like quiet of making making shavings, and you have to balance that with um, you know the stated goal of of teaching them every part of the process. So. Sometimes you have to let people do that, but other times you got to say like, look, you know, there's a lot of safety stuff that you still need to learn. I'm not going to feel good sending you home without having covered this. So we're going to have to, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this student from you and sort of get us to the next level so that you can pick up the pace, you know, that, you, that we can sort of pick up the pace together and get to a place where you have been exposed to all of the important things that you need to know. Um, so you're very much in charge and need to have your eye on the clock and have an awareness of the situation. Now, probably, and especially if you're doing multiple person workshops, there's going to be a period close to the end of the workshop where you're going to have to do what I call rescue carving. So you're going to have to go around and sort of help people out of all the jams that they're in. So you better be able to have that trick up your sleeve where you say like, oh, that situation right there where, you know, you made the handle almost too skinny and whatever, like this is the best you can do under these circumstances and here's how to deal with it. So that's an important skill and it's a kind of carving that you're not going to encounter anywhere else. It's, it's a wild experience to do that for somebody and, um, and it's unlike anything I've ever done in terms of carving. Is, is that kind of rescue carving. Um, and that's really it. So usually I start off with sharpening and we with sharpening, we definitely cover a lot of theory. Like we, we do my sharpening method with the block and the sandpaper and all that. But, but I try to keep it really heavy on the theory so that if they have a different sharpening system that they're already using, if they have if they go home and they do something different than what I'm doing, that they're thinking about like, what is the theory that I'm shooting for? And what are the cues that I'm getting from the physical material that's telling me what's going on? Like, I want them to be thinking about it at that level, not the, what did he show me how to do in this circumstance? I want them to be thinking about what's actually happening in their situation in the real world, not trying to remember some bit of advice that I gave. And one of the last things I'd say about teaching is that uh, it's really valuable if you put some time into creating free online resources for your students, both as a means of generating business, right? Your students will find you through that and decide that they like your teaching style, but also as a resource for your students when they go home to then say, oh, what was that that he said? And they can just go to YouTube and find the video you already did on it, and it's going to refresh their memory. Um, you know, when people are coming to you to learn from you, it's okay to teach them the same stuff as what you've already put out into the world. I would say don't hesitate to share everything you know already, and multiple times, because people are only going to find what they're going to find. Nobody's going to find everything. Like you might have like one person in, over the course of your career who really truly has gone through everything you've put out there because they care that much. Um, but most people are only going to engage with a very small slice of what you put out into the world. So you see it all, but nobody else does. Um, so don't let that 
puts you off from just posting the same stuff over and over and over again because you never know when it's going to be the right moment to you know to reach that person just to, with the information that they need it happens to me all the time where i share something that i feel like i've shared a million times before and somebody reaches out and is like wow thank you so much for sharing that i had no idea that that's how that happened and i'm thinking like well didn't you see the other million times that i've shared it but they hadn't and that's all right that's normal that's that's how it should be um that's just life that people are absorbed in themselves and not in you and so don't assume that just because you've shared it once that that's enough or that just because you've shared it that that somehow precludes you from teaching it to somebody because um, when people come take a lesson from you they're there because they want the support in the moment for themselves not because you're going to give them some secret formula that you aren't sharing elsewhere um yeah so that's it if you have any questions about how to teach um i'm always happy to field questions uh usually instagram is the best way to do it thanks so much guys